So we are in part seven of a series. If you've been here for a while, you've kind of tracked with us. If this is your first time in the building, maybe you're watching online or maybe you've been watching this whole series online. So you guys know uh, this is typically longer than our other series. We usually do three or four weeks. This one, we're doing eight. We're in part seven. Next week, we're going to conclude the series. Uh, but today, I, I uh, titled the message Loopholes, and we titled that because I really want to talk to you about loopholes because the interesting thing is we all kind of like loopholes. We've been talking about this idea of Christian, it's, it's not what you think. Christians, and you might not know this or not, you may even ascribe to being a Christian and not realize this about yourself, Christians love loopholes. We do. We, we, we love this idea of loopholes, and, and it, it's kind of pervasive all around the world. We see this all the time, even as people. We're kind of ingrained in this, even as a child, to, to, to look for loopholes. And we, we do this... Um, from a young age, no one has to teach us to do this. We just kind of do it. You may remember this from being a teenager. Maybe you have teenagers and you've had this conversation. And the argument starts, well, mom, mom, I, I, I didn't lie to you. You asked me if their parents were going to be home. And I knew that eventually their parents would at some point in time in the future be home. So I didn't lie. I knew they were going to be home. I just, you know, you didn't ask me if they were going to be home at the, during the party. So technically, I didn't lie. Or, or, you know, you're, you're skateboarding, the sign says, no skateboards. Well, officer, I only have one skateboard, not, not boards. And then we laugh and think, well, that's what kids do. But, you know, as adults, it's, you know, <clears throat> your dogs must, dogs must stay on a leash. Well, officer, I only have one dog, but I really can't find him. So could you help me find the dog that is, right? We, we, we look for the, the loophole, and we do that in religion because as Christians, we love loopholes. What you might find really interesting is this isn't even just a, a Christian thing. Every religion loves to look for loopholes because every religion has a document or a book or, or some kind of reference, something that was given to give all the rules of the, of the religion, all the do's and don'ts. And then they have men who study that, who are called theologians, who basically look at all the rules, the do's and the don'ts, and they just help people find the loopholes so they can kind of do what they want, even though the book that they ascribe to, whatever religion is, says don't do it. That's really what theologians do. And I'm not going to knock theologians this morning because I consider myself a theologian, but that's what every religion has. They have a book of, uh, or a guide that says, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And then they have people who kind of look at that and find all the loopholes in and out of those rules so people can continue to do the things that the religion they ascribe to says don't do. If you don't believe me, 
Go to Egypt. Go to a, a very Muslim nation. This is outside of Christianity now. In, in the Muslim religion, they are told to pray five times. They have five pillars of Islam. Uh, some people say they have seven or eight. There's actually five. The second pillar is called Salat, which it says they have to pray five times during the day depending on where the sun is. And in these, these predominantly Muslim nations that have mosques, you can walk through the streets, and then at five times during the day over loudspeakers all throughout the city, there's a call to prayer. So you would think, because it's so ingrained in their religion, and that's, as a Christian even, that's one of the things I, I kind of admire about the Islamic faith is these people are dedicated to pray five times a day. You'll walk through the streets, and it's beautiful, and it's ancient, and you hear the call to prayer, and no one stops moving. Cars keep driving, buses keep going. And very rarely do you see somebody on the side of the road pull out their prayer mat and lean down and you know, look to where the sun is and pray towards Mecca. Very rarely do you see that. And then you'll ask somebody, well, I thought, I thought that was like a pillar of your faith. That's what you do. Like that's, that's what Muslims are known for. And you'll hear excuses like this. Well, you know, if you read the Quran, it, it really kind of says, and it's, you know, da-da-da-da. And then you begin to realize, yeah, that's what we do too. Maybe that's the one thing Christians and Muslims have in common. Yeah, well, the Bible, you know, it really says that we kind of, and, and, you know, I'm not really sure how that connects, and we just kind of look at things a little sideways. We, we find the path we like through the Scripture, and we kind of make an excuse for it because we like loopholes. Christians, we, we find ourselves asking some, some questions, and really, they're not always the best questions. We find ourselves asking th- things like this, like, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? God, if God were to show up and say, Jim, what are you doing? I wouldn't be able to say, I, I didn't touch it. Look, my hands are clean. I'm just really close. I could smell it. I could, I, I could see it right in my face, but I didn't touch it, God. I'm good. I'm good. How close can I get to being mean? How close can I get to being bad? How close to, to, un, uh, to selfishness? How close to unrighteousness? How, how close can I get without actually crossing that line? Because we like to look for loopholes. If you've come from the Catholic faith, and, and I'm not going to knock the Catholic faith, the majority of my dad's family are, are Irish Catholics. Uh, they have a, a loophole, and it's a pretty amazing loophole. I was kind of astounded being from a Protestant faith as a child to all of my Catholic cousins because their, their faith tradition kind of went like this. They could sin like all week, as much as they want, and then they just go to a priest and say confession and kind of pour out their sin bucket, and he says, okay, you're all good. Here, do a few things and move on your way, and then they go right back to sinning. And as a teacher, I'm like, that's all you have to do? Like, that's amazing. <laughs> we know we're, you know we're all thinking it. And, and, and it, there's a faith tradition there, and, and I'm not knocking the, the, the Catholic faith by any means. I, I think we've just begun to take advantage of it. We found a loophole. Christians, we have this a little differently in our, in our circles. Um, you may be able to quote this verse. You might not be able to, but 1 John 1.9 says we need to confess our sins one to another. And in so doing so, God removes the sin, removes the unrighteousness from us. In that, we find our little loophole because we say, okay, so if I just confess my sins, God is just forgive me and he wipes the slate clean. And then here's the best part. He forgets. So like if I were to do that thing next week and come back and say, God, I'm so sorry I did it again. God's like, huh? You did what? I didn't even remember. I mean, it's pretty amazing. We just like to find our loopholes. And then there's liberal Christians, and they do this. They, kind of, they have their own loophole where they'll read through the text, you know, the New Testament and the Old, and they'll come across things that they don't like, and they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe Jesus really said that. 
it was kind of lost in, in, in tradition, right? That's one of those things that was, you know, as it was the story was told over and over in Oregon, the oral tradition, it, it was just kind of, they wrote it down wrong, and then somebody else wrote it down wrong, and Jesus didn't really mean that, or Paul didn't really mean that, or that was just for their culture, not for ours. Like, that, that's the old way of thinking, but, but that's not really ha- like what I ascribe to. And we just kind of write away the things we don't like with, yeah, Jesus didn't really say that, or he didn't really mean it that way. We, we, we create these loopholes in our religion so that we can behave the way ultimately we want to behave. Loophole Christians, and I'm saying loophole Christians because I, you, I know I'm not talking to loophole Christians, right? We're Jesus followers. Loophole Christians love theology. They love theology because in their theology, they can study the scriptures and they can find little twists and turns so that they can kind of work their way through the scripture to do whatever they want. They can find an excuse to behave whichever way they want. Christians, or, or I would say Jesus followers, which is who I'm talking to here, we, we don't do that. We ask an entirely different set of questions when we look at the scriptures. But they look at it and think, well, how can I get to where I want? And, and they begin to navigate scriptures that way. They use it to find loopholes. They'll say things like this, like, you know, we talk about tithing. Well, tithing, that, that's from the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament, he never really talked about tithing, so I don't have to tithe. And it's like, Oh, so you just found a loophole, because that's really what God meant when he talked about tithing in the old. Like, like that's, that's great. You know, I understand we're not under the old, we're under the new, so technically you're right, but is that really what God meant? Do you think when we got to the new, God was like, no, 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 I'm not worried about your sacrifice and generosity anymore. I know, I know. I, I, I want you to be like Jesus who gave his life for everybody else, but don't worry about it. Keep everything for yourself. You found a loophole. You got me. But that's what we do. We take our theology and we find ways to create loopholes. You see, the thing about loopholes, a loophole is technically correct. It is, right? The mom would then retort to the son and say, I know I said, when are their parents going to be home? But I thought you really understood what I meant when I said, are their parents going to be home? We just find a loophole. See, the interesting thing about loophole is it kind of gives us what it wants, but it's really dangerous because it kind of gives us what we want. And we can be a Christian and believe whatever we want to believe and do whatever we want to do, which is why on both sides of the equation, you'll find Christians on either side because, well, I can just take the scripture and take a theologian and somebody who agrees with me. Well, that's, you know, well, that was old or that's not culturally appropriate. And then I believe whatever I want to believe. They use the scriptures to get away with whatever they want to get away with. See, it's amazing. You can look at the scriptures, and we, we know the stories of Jesus because that's what we teach here and we talk about all the time. But people can use the scriptures to hate other people. I don't know if you realize this. They use scriptures to persecute and kill Jesus. People use scriptures to hate other races. People find a scripture and they pull it out to persecute homosexuals. It, it's, it's what we do when we ascribe to this loophole Christianity. If I just take this one verse and I, and, and I pull it out, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay because I can make a case for it. And that's what we do. See, they ask, they're asking all the wrong questions. How close can I get to sin without sinning? How, how bad can I be without God really saying, okay, you're done, I'm done, you're out. But Jesus followers, we ask an entirely different set of questions. 
You see, Jesus, he ran up against this, this same kind of thing in his own ministry. He, when he walked the earth, the law of Moses had been given years and years and years ago, so it was kind of in and in its place, and this really interesting thing kind of happened. The, the, the law that was given, the, the people who kind of interpreted the law, the theologians, we call them the Pharisees of the day, they would look at the law and say, well, we don't want you to break this rule, so we're going to create another rule to keep you from breaking that rule. And, and in, over time, over the course of like thousands of years of the law being given, the rules that they created began to hold more weight and more value than the actual rule that God gave. And, and there was this kind of twisted kind of thing where they created rules to keep people from honoring the rules of God. And when you would break their rules, it was as bad or sometimes even worse than breaking the rules of God. They, they, the people kind of became so infatuated in love with the commands of the rules, they forgot about the commander and the intent of the commands given. So Jesus, he kind of runs up in his own ministry against this, this idea of we're going to find some loopholes. And in this one conversation with Pharisees, we, we, this, it kind of plays out. And we see the side of Jesus that, that is a little bit scary, if I'm being honest. Jesus is doing his ministry, and the, typically the Pharisees, these are the ones who come against him, the theologians of the day who are trying to look for loopholes and can't find a loophole in Jesus, a little uncomfortable. So they come to Jesus and they say this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. That was kind of the, the, the Mecca, the, the capital of theology in the day. They come to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they ask him this question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Not the law, don't misunderstand me, not the law of Moses. They didn't break the rules that God gave us. They broke the rules that we created to keep us from breaking the rules that God gave us. It's a little, little twisted and confusing, right? This is actually what happened. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And they don't wash their hands before they eat. I mean, could you imagine being like that angry about not washing your hands? Like, and parents, I know, you're so excited. Like, that's actually in the Bible? I can now use a scripture to get my kids? Yes, you can. It's in there. You should wash your hands before you eat. But they're missing the point of this law. This whole idea of washing their hands before they eat, it comes back to this, this law in, in, in the, the law of Moses where the priests, and it was only for the priests, they had to do this kind of crazy ceremonial washing to make themselves clean before God and before the people they were serving. They'd have to wash from the fingertips up to the elbow and do all these crazy kind of things. And I don't know why it shifted. I kind of get the idea that the Pharisees were sick of being the only ones who had to do this. So they made an oral tradition, the tradition of the elders. No, no, this isn't just for us. Everybody has to do this. Everybody has to wash from their tips up to their elbows. And, and Jesus' disciples apparently either didn't do that or didn't wash thoroughly enough. Maybe it was just the hands and not the forearms. I don't know. But they weren't happy that Jesus' disciples were breaking their tradition, not the rules that God gave. They asked Jesus this question, and here's this amazing response from Jesus that if, if I'm being completely honest, it's a little scary when you really think about it. It kind of makes you sit up straight and kind of think about Christianity and, and following Jesus and loopholes a little bit differently. Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Jesus replies. He kind of doesn't even answer the question. He turns the, the, the whole thing back on them. Okay, why do you break the command of God? Not the tradition of the elders. Not your own kind of made-up rules that were there and put in place to keep people from breaking the real rules. You actually break the real rules. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, if you have a study Bible, you look at this, and on the footnotes, it'll kind of explain some of the intricacies of this, and I'm going to do my best to kind of explain it. But he's saying this, that there are the real rules, the real law given by God, and it was a little uncomfortable for you. So you found a loophole to allow people to honor your tradition, but in so doing, they actually broke the real command. 
loophole Christianity. Turn the entire conversation back to them. You want to accuse me? Here, let's really accuse. Why do you break the laws of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he gets to the heart of it. He said, for God said, honor your father and mother. I mean, this is like, like a, a, a basic law, right? A basic rule. Like this is one of the big 10. It's in the 10 commandments that hang on every building in Israel. And like everybody knows these. Honor your father and mother. Sounds awesome. Unless, you know, you're a teenager. Okay, I honor my father and mother. And anyone who doesn't, who curses their father and mother, is to be put to death. I don't know about you, but I am really happy we've kind of distanced ourselves from that law. <laughs> I can't speak for yourself. I can speak for myself. I wouldn't be here. And my guess is most of you wouldn't either. And from seeing your kids over there, none of no. <laughs> the entire population would be a whole lot less if we ascribe to that. So I'm a little happy we kind of changed that. Honor your father and mother. The basic of basics. It's in the Big Ten. But you say, which is really interesting. Now he turns it around. But you say, you kind of take the place of God in this story. And instead of telling the people and encouraging people to honor one of the Big Ten commandments, you say, and he switches it. Now, now you're going to redirect people for the sake of your tradition or to find your loophole. You theologians. And I know we look at this and we're like, why would somebody ever do that? But here's the uncomfortable truth this morning. We all do that. We all take scriptures we don't like and we kind of, we, we twist them a little bit and we distort them and we look through this, this glass that's a little dark and, and it's, you know, there, there's a clear path. It's what the scriptures say and it's, it's clear and it's obvious. Yeah, but I think I like it better like this because it fits better in my life or in what I want to do. We, we all do that. We've all twisted things around, and we all, at some point in some area of our lives, care more about the commands than we do about the intent of the commander. Jesus said, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. And I'm sure you're reading this, so that makes no sense. So I'm going to do my best to explain this to you. <clears throat> it's really confusing, and it's really kind of twisted. And it really, when you understand the intent of it, it's like, why would anyone ever do that? The law was given to honor your father and mother. Okay, that sounds great when I'm a teenager. Sure, I'll, I'll honor my father and mother. But Moses didn't say until when. It's like, you know, I'm 18. I no longer have to honor my father and mother. No, no, no. You just honor your father and mother. Like, even when I'm 41, I've got to honor my father and mother? Like, come on. I'm old now. I should be able to do what I want. I should be able to live how I want. And I have to honor my father and mother till they're how old? Well, I don't know, but parents live long sometimes. And taking care of my parents and honoring my parents like, can get expensive. And I don't want to have to do that. And, and, and this is uncomfortable for me. So they said, okay, well, we have a workaround. There's this other rule given in the law of Moses that says if anything you have is devoted to God, it's God's. And it can't be used for anything else. So the Pharisees came over and said, here's a workaround. Love your father and mother, but devote everything you have to us in the church. We'll let you use it until you die, but when you die, it's all ours. And, and until you die, you can only use it for you. So then you can say, you know, when your dad comes and says, son, I'm, I'm in a jam, I could do something. Dad, I really love you, and I want to honor you. You're my father. You've done so much for me. 
let everything I have is devoted to God. I can't rob from God. They really shouldn't have brought this up to Jesus. Mom, I love you, and I know you need help with your rent, but, but you see, recently my wife and I decided we're going to give everything to God, and I really can't use what I devoted to. I'd be robbing from God, and you don't want me to rob from God, do you? So they twisted the Scripture to allow them to live the way they wanted Jesus says, thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And we hear this and we're all like, who would ever treat their parents that way? But here's the hard, inconvenient truth. We all do this to some extent. And I know no one really wants to hear that. Like, Jim, you're getting a little hard. and You've been gone for a few weeks. Why do you got to come back so hard? We all do this to some extent. Oh, I don't like what that scripture says. I'm just going to twist. Or That's old, and I don't, I don't ascribe to the old. I'm a New Testament follower of Jesus. And we just kind of twist things so we can live the way we want to live. And if we were to sit and ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you really think about people who do this? Jesus responded, you hypocrites. Now, I know some of you, you've thought that about church for a long, long time. So this morning, I'm going to give you an out. We're all going to say it together. And we're going to use all the angst that we've had and all the times we've been frustrated with people in church and thought it in our heads but didn't have the nerve to say it out loud. It's actually kind of fun. We're going to say it together. Even if you're at home, you may want to shut the door so people don't think you're talking to yourself. It's a little weird. But I want us all to say it together. Jesus, what do you think of people who kind of twist and distort the scriptures to get to, so they can live the way they want to live? Well, what do you think about that? You ready? One, two, three. You hypocrites. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? For some of you, maybe it felt a little too good. You just need to dial it back. Jesus has no tolerance for it. You see, Jesus really, really, really doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. When we use his father's words to avoid doing his father's will, he doesn't. He's not at all a fan of us, but when, when we can search the scriptures and look at the scripture and, and, and pull one thing out so that we can kind of live the way we want to live and, and in so doing kind of avoid doing his father's will. But that's what we've been so good at doing. Right there, we're so good at pulling one scripture out and saying, this is it, I'm going to stand on this. I'm going to avoid the entire rest of the Bible. The thousands and thousands of, I just want this one right here. I'm good. We avoid everything else. We care more about the one command than we do about the intent of the commander and all the other commands and how they all played together and built to show a story and to show us exactly who we should be striving to be like. This is why Christians, and, and this is crazy to me, we can all ascribe to follow the same God and the same Savior. We read the same scriptures and we end up in all these different places. And then we meet people who don't live in this. It's like this, this pocket Christianity. I'm just going to gather all the people who believe the same way and read the same way. And then I meet people who don't. And it's like, oh, you guys got it all wrong. Like, you don't even know what you're doing. Are you even reading the same Bible? Like, come on, you're all wrong. And nobody else knows how to do it right except me. It's why we get, we get churches in America that, that are large churches and they're full pretty much of white, conservative, right-leaning people. 
And, and they preach this message all the time. They take scriptures from the old or a story from the new and just a few, and don't, don't put it all together because you know, then my case falls apart. But just a few, and we say things like, I got to take America back again. We got to take America back in. Highly politicized messages. They love the command more than the commander. Somewhere along the way, we've lost the intent. And that may, you may hear that and be so uncomfortable with what I just said. Roll with me for the next few minutes. Because there is actually one scripture that if we pull out and look at it, it covers all the rest. But it's like they, they've missed it. And that's why in other parts of America, we have large black churches that are filled with left-leaning Democrats. And they, they preach these messages that I hear, or they post messages outside that I see, and it's like, we're not reading the same scriptures. These things are just fueled to, to inspire this, these things that are actually anti-biblical, unbiblical, filled with hate. I literally saw a sign that said, no black person should ever be going to a white church. On the door of a church. Oh, we can point the finger there, but what about us? And we have Christians on either side of the equation completely missing it because we've pulled something out of the text and we stand on that one thing and everything else we forget. I'm loving this command even more than the intent that the commander gave it to us. We see it all around. See, anytime we start looking for a loophole <clears throat> to skirt Jesus' teaching, we're all guilty. Anytime we use religion, and don't, don't misunderstand me, I love religion. I've dedicated my life to following Jesus and letting, helping other people follow Jesus. Anytime we use religion as an excuse to mistreat the people that Jesus came and died for, we're hypocrites. I heard this story about Pastor Andy Stanley. He said he's given this story many times. One time he's counseling a father who brought in his daughter. His daughter's engaged, and she was engaged to somebody of a different race. And he brought her in, and they're sitting down, and they're having this really heated kind of discussion. And at one point, the father pulls out the Bible. And Andy thinks, oh, good, now we're going to get somewhere. He's going to give me a scripture that, that you know, proves his point, and, and we can end the conversation. He pulls out a scripture, and he points to the Old Testament. He said, see, Moses married a Moabite woman, which was a, Moses was of the Middle Eastern race, and she was of black descent. Yeah, I see that. And then he flips to the, like, chapters and chapters later, and he never went into the promised land. See? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I see, but all that in between you missed. The reason he wasn't allowed into the promised land had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, he did marry someone from a different race. And his brother and sister chastised him for it and were cursed because of it. But that's, I got a scripture. And we look for a loophole. And we see this play out in churches all the time. Every generation, I find this really interesting. We, we kind of create our own little sin list. And we look at culture where it's at, and we kind of highlight one or two sins that are, these are like the big sins, and if you do these things, you're just gone. It's like we create a top five list of sin. 
And it's the thing that we stand on. And, and you know, years and years ago, it, it was divorce. And if you were divorced, you just couldn't go to church because divorce was such a big issue. And then years later, it was interracial marriages. And if you were, you were just gone and the world hated you and you couldn't be allowed in church in every generation, it shifts. But we kind of create a top five list of sin. What's really interesting is every time I look at some of those lists, they don't line up with the lists that are given in the New Testament because they only list five. And every time I look at a list that Jesus gave us or Paul gave us or Peter, like you picked the guy. Every time I look at that, it's a long list that covers all of us. But I just want to pick out the ones that I don't like or that I think everybody else needs to follow. And then we say, yeah, but, but what about you? Like, you're not being generous. You're not being loving. Well, yeah, but you know, that's old. I'm in the new. I'm good. And we find a loophole. And Jesus shows up, and he shows up into a world that was a little like ours, but to be honest, it was, it was, it was worse, and it was harder. And he shows up to kind of right the ship and to bring people back, like, like you've missed it. You focus too much on the commands, and you've missed the intent of why those commands were given. You missed the, the, the intent of the Father, my Father, who sent me. So I'm going to come back, and I'm going to try to right the ship. So we're going to go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning of what the commander meant, like... Like, let's start over. Like, this is a football, and, and we tie our laces, and this is an American football that we actually throw with our hands, not the football you kick with your feet. Start all the way over, right at the beginning. Jesus, what do you have to say about all this? And John, he says this, a new command I give you. Okay, Jesus, what's the new command? Love one another. Love one another. It's kind of it. It's how people will know that you're my followers. The way you love one another. Not what church you show up to on a Sunday morning. Not the shirt you wear during the week. Not, not the right lingo you say because you fit into the right group. Not, not, not you know, we talked about this, the, the chain with the cross on it that you wear or the Bible you leave in the window of your car so everybody walks by and sees, oh, he must be, n none of that. Love one another. Defer your theology. Let's, let's for one minute, and, and this sounds really dangerous, but for one minute, let's, just, let's look past all the commands given and let's look at the intent of why those commands were given. Love one another. And 25 years later, 25 years after this point, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to some of his Christian friends living in Rome. You see, and I, just this week I was talking to somebody about going to Italy. I want to go to Rome because it sounds so awesome. Rome was not awesome back then. And it really wasn't awesome if you were a Christian. These were Christians, Jesus followers, living in, in Nero's Rome, in, in the light, in the shadow of Nero's circus, where he would persecute Christians and feed them to the lions and light them up on, on wooden poles to be torches for his city. This is what they grew up in, these people. And the Apostle Paul writes in this letter, and, and as I read these words, it's honestly hard for me to understand how Paul could write it to people who are experiencing and enduring this. Paul says this, which is just baffling to me. Let no doubt remain out, or sorry, no debt remain outstanding. Any debt you have, I want you to pay it. I don't want you to owe anybody anything. Let no debt re remain outstanding, except the continuing debt 
You're always going to have this. You're never going to be able to pay it back. But I want you to pay it back every single day, every second you're awake, every minute you, you're eyeball to eyeball with somebody else. I want you to pay this debt back every single day. Even the Romans, even the people who are persecuting and killing and murdering, everybody, this debt's never paid. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. Paul, I don't like that. And I really don't like that in light of what they are doing to me. Where's, where's the, like, the, the, the quotes with, with you know, the stipulations? You know, unless they do this, unless they're your child and they talk back. Like, wh- wh- like, I don't like that. He said, I know. And then get this. This is the kicker. This is like the most powerful part. For whoever loves others fulfills the law. Wait a second, Paul. Are you saying that every command given between Genesis and Revelation is wrapped up in this one thing? Yes. All like 660 some Old Testament commandments and everything Jesus said, it's all wrapped up right here. Yeah. And then he goes on. For the commands that you were given, the commands that all of us know, right? You shall not commit adultery. That's like a command in every religion, not just Christianity. Every religion thinks that one's bad. For all the commands that were given, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And then he gives like this blanket statement. And whatever other command there may be. So read through all the pages of the scripture. Every other command given. Read through the, the, the pages of the New Testament. Every single command given. Everything that's a do not and a do. Every thou shalt and thou shalt not. Everything given is covered in this one thing. They are summed up. In this single command, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it is so clear, it's almost painfully clear. Right? This is the point when we read this, like, Paul, could you make that a little more blurry? Can you give me a gray area? Can you get, I mean, there is like no room for a loophole there, and I don't like that. That's the point. Jesus was asked. What's the greatest command given? And he recites the answer every good Jewish person knows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, I do use that. Wait, 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 I'm not done. I got one that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, where'd you get that? From Jesus. You want to know how to fulfill everything between Genesis and Revelation, the entire Bible? So that's it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills Leviticus 2, 9, yep. That fulfills, yep. That, yeah, yeah, all of it. It's like everything else in there was just given as an example, as an illustration, as a how-to. Like if I actually decide to love my neighbor, how do I do that? Here's how you do that. But you want to know the one thing that covers it all? If you're going to pull anything out and stand on that one thing, that's what you stand on. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop looking through the world through this twisted idea of theology or stop making the clear unclear and choosing these, these weird... This covers old and new, so you can't jump to the old and say, I don't follow that anymore. I'm a new... T-. Yep, this is new. This covers all of it. See, disciples... Christians might love loopholes, but disciples don't look for workarounds and loopholes. That's what Christians do. 
And I know when I'm talking to and giving this message, I'm not talking to mere Christians. I'm talking to people who follow Jesus. But the truth is, you might know one. You might be friends with one. Your family. Your neighbor. They might look for a loophole. But a disciple and a follower of Jesus, we don't look for loopholes. We ask a question. And anytime we're face-to-face with, with, with somebody and, and it feels like it's awkward or there's something there or, man, I'd really like to find a loophole to avoid this, we ask ourselves one question. What does love require of me? If, if loving my neighbor is the greatest thing that I have to do, the greatest command, what does love require of me? When I'm, when I'm in that, that fight with my husband and, and he's just being so pig-headed and it's like for the thousandth time this week and I'm, I just, I, what does love require of me? When I'm talking to my neighbor and, and they are just continually that thorn in my side and, you know, they, they, they just, they, they kick all their, their toys over and they blow their leaves onto my yard and they make complete, like, what does love require of me? When you're talking to your kids, and they can be so stubborn that you literally want to pull your hair out of your head. What does love require of me? I mean, that one question, it kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Imagine if two people woke up in the morning, a husband and wife, and, and, and their, first thought, their first thought was, I, I owe my wife a debt of love, how Paul would say it. I'm indebted to her to love her and continue to love her and to continue loving her until she's with the Father in heaven. What if every morning they woke up and said, I'm in such a debt of love to you. What does love require of me? I'm pointing this way because that's my wife. How would that change your marriage? Some of you, you think that through and you think, how would that have changed my parents' marriage? And if they only asked this question, how would it change your relationship with your children? How would it change your relationship with your parents? Paul, I, I want what's fair. And that doesn't always seem fair. I know. But it's what a disciple does. What if we treated our boss that way? What if we treated our employees that way? What if, what if we led that way? What does love require of me? See, it, it might just begin to transform your heart and transform your life. And even better, as we're going to talk about next week, it'll begin to transform the people around you, your city, quite possibly the world as it did 2,000 years ago. And I know where you're at. You, you have a thousand questions. You're thinking through all the scriptures and you're, you're theologians. You're, you're okay, Jim, but what about and what about and what about and what about? I want to answer all thousand questions really quickly. Every, every kind of rebuttal to this, I'm going to answer it really quickly with this. <clears throat> this one question. Aren't you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? Aren't you glad that God didn't go, yeah, but do you see what he did last night? Jesus, don't go. They're not worth it. I've told you this before, but I've been blessed. I grew up in a family that loved God, and everybody who was closest to me loved me. But I have given God like 10 million reasons to find a loophole with me. Yet he didn't. 
I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've lied when I should have told the truth. I've thought thoughts that I want nobody ever to, to know. Yet he didn't look for a loophole. As a matter of fact, he said, I love you more than all those things, so much that I'll give my son for you because that's what love required of him. And if God loves you, guys, what's our excuse? If God didn't look for a loophole when it came to you and what you've done and, and your past that, that feels like a way and you want no one to know, you tried to blur the line behind you so nobody sees where you came from. If God didn't look for a loophole, then why are you? So don't settle for being a Christian. Don't settle for how close can I get? How bad can I mistreat? How self-righteous can I be? Instead, ask this one question. What does love require of me? Jesus doesn't like it. When we look through his father's words and we pull something out of context or out of a story and we use it to mistreat the people that Jesus loved so much, he came and died for them. He doesn't like it. Don't be like the Christians. Be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're saying, well, Jim, I'm not there yet. I, I'm still a Christian. I don't, I'm not really a follower of Jesus yet. Here's what I want you to do. For the next week, I just want you to wrestle with this question. I'm not even going to challenge you to, to live it out. Just ask yourself the question. Anytime you're face-to-face -face with, with your, your spouse or your significant other or your children or your employee or your angry neighbor or whatever it is, you're face-to-face -face with Fox News or CNN, ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? You don't have to do anything. Just sit on that. Because next week, I'm going to tell you what we do. I'm going to tell you how we actually live that out. What does love require of you? I'll let you know. Next week, so come back. This week, wrestle with that. What does love require of me? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for every person who, who's hearing this. God, I thank you that I got the chance to speak it. Lord, this is so much more difficult than simply getting to pick and choose what we want and go through every scripture and find the loophole. God, it seems simple but it plays out so hard. So I pray for each one of us, Lord, over the next seven days, as we continue to wrestle with this, uh, this idea of what does love require of us? Would you begin to, to give us the wisdom to bring these thoughts to mind of what it would actually mean as we're in conversations with our spouses or our children or our friends or our neighbors or our, our work buddies or whatever it might be? What does love require of us? And God, begin to let us see that. And I pray you'd bring them back here next week, God, so we can talk and conclude this about what we actually do when we decide to love people the way that Jesus loved us. In Jesus' name I pray.